Incredible Adventures by Algernon Blackwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Patrick seventy nine. Story one: The Regeneration of Lord Ernie by Algernon Blackwood. Part four. In the Englishman's mind there came a crash, as though something fell. There was dust, confusion, noise. Moral platitudes shouted at conventional admonitions. Warnings laughed, and copybook maxims shrivelled up. Above the lot, rising with a touch of grandeur, stood the pulpit figure of little Pasteur, his big face shining clear through the turmoil strength and vision in the flaming eyes, a commanding outline with spiritual audacity in his heart. And Hendrik saw then that the man himself was standing erect in the centre of the room, one finger raised to command attention, listening. Some considerable interval must have passed while he struggled with his inner confusion. Lazan stood, intently listening, his big head throwing a grotesque shadow on wall and ceiling. Ark! he exclaimed, half-whispering. Do you hear that? Listen! A deep sound, confused and roaring, passed across the night, far away, and slightly booming. It entered the little room so that the air seemed to tremble a moment. To Hendricks it held something ominous. The wind, he whispered, as the noise died off in the distance. Yet a moment ago the night was still enough. The stars were shining. There was tense excitement in the room just then. It showed in Lazan's face which had gone white as a cloth. Hendricks himself felt extraordinarily stirred. "'It's not wind, but human voices,' the older man said quickly. "'It's shouting. Listen!' And his eyes ran round the room, coming to rest finally in a corner where his hat and cloak hung from a nail. A gesture accommodated the look. He wanted to be out. The tutor himself rose to take his leave. "'You have duties tonight, elsewhere,' he stammered. "'I'm forgetting.' His own instinct was to get away himself with Bindi by the first early diligence. He was afraid of yielding. "'Hush!' whispered Lazan peremptorily. "'Listen!' He opened the window at the top, and through the crack, where the stars peeped brightly, there came, louder than before, the uproar of human voices floating through the night from far away. The air of the great pine forest came in with it. Hendricks listened intently for a moment. He positively jumped to feel a hand upon his arm. Lazan's big head was thrust close up into his face. "'That's the commotion of the village,' he whispered, 
a messenger has come and gone. Someone has gone back with him. Tonight I shall be needed. Down here, but tomorrow night, when the great ritual takes place, up there. Hendricks tried to push him away so as not to hear his words, but the little man seemed immovable as a rock. The impulse remained probably in the mind without making the muscles work, for the tutor, sorely tempted, longed to dare, yet faltered in his will. If you feel like taking a risk, the words continued seductively, we might place the empty vessel near enough to let it fill, and then rescue it, charged with energy, in the nick of time. And the pastor's eyes were aglow with enthusiasm, his voice even trembling at the thought of high adventure to save another's soul. Watch merely, Hendricks heard his own voice whisper, hardly aware that he was saying it, without taking part. He said it thickly, stupidly, a man wavering and unsure of himself. It would be an experience, he stammered. I've never... Merely watch. Yes, look on. Let him see interrupted the other with eagerness. We must be very careful. It's worth trying. Oh, a last resort. They stood still close together. Hendricks felt the little man's breath on his face as he peered up at him. I, I, I admit the chance, he began weakly. There is no chance was the vigorous reply. There is only providence. You have been guided. But as to risk and failure, what of them? What's involved? He asked, recklessness increasing in him. New wine in old bottles, was the answer. But here, you tell me, the vessel is not damaged, but merely empty. The machinery is all right if he merely watches, as from a little distance. Uh, yes, yes, the machinery is there. I agree. The, the boy has breeding, health and all physical qualities. Good blood and nerves and muscles. It's only that life refused to stay and drive them. His heart beat with violence, even as he said it. He felt the energy and the zeal from the older man pour into him. He was realising in himself, on a smaller scale, what might take place with the boy in large. But still he shrank. Lazan, for the moment, said no more. His spiritual discernment was equal to his boldness. Having planted the seed, he left it to grow or die. The decision was not for him. In the light of the single lamp, the two men sat facing each other, listening, waiting, 
while Leysan talked occasionally, but in the main kept silence. Some time passed, though how long the tutor could not say. In his mind was wild confusion. How could he justify such a mad proposal? Yet how could he refuse the opening, preposterous though it seemed? The enticement was very great. Temptation rushed upon him. Striving to recall his normal world, he found it difficult. The face of the old Marquis seemed a mere lifeless picture on a wall. It watched, but could not interfere. Here was an opportunity to take or leave. He fought the battle in terms of naked souls, while the ordinary four-cornered mortality hid its face a while. He heard himself explaining, delaying, hedging, half-toying with the problem. But the redemption of a soul was at stake, and he tried to forget the environment and conditions of modern thought and belief. Sentences flashed at him out of the battle. I must take him back, worse than when I started, or— What? A violent being like Marston, or a redeemed, converted system with new energy? It, it's, it's a chance, and my last. Moreover, odd, half-comic detail— there was the support of the church, of a Protestant clergyman whose fundamental beliefs were similar to the evangelical persuasions of the boy's family. Conversion, as demoniacal procession, were both traditions of the blood. After all, the old Marquis might understand and approve. Ah, you took the opening God set in your ways, in his wisdom. You showed faith and courage. Far be it from me to condemn you. The picture on the wall looked down at him and spoke the words. The wild hypothesis of the intrepid little missionary pastor swept him with an effect like hypnotism. Then suddenly... Something in him seemed to decide finally for itself. He flung himself, morality and all, upon the vigorous other personality. He leaned across the table, his face close to the lamp. His voice shook as he spoke. "'Would you?' he asked. Then knew the question foolish, and that such a man would shrink from nothing where the redemption of a soul was at stake knew also that the question was proof that his own decision was already made. There was something grotesque almost in the torrent of colloquial French laisan proceeded to pour forth, while the other sat listening in amazement, half ashamed and half exhilarated. He looked at the stalwart figure, the wiry bowed leg as he paced the floor, the shortness of the coat-sleeves, and the absence of shirt-cuffs round the powerful, lean wrists. It was a great fighting man he watched, a man afraid of nothing in heaven or earth, prepared to lead a forlorn hope into the hostile, unknown land. And the sight 
combined with what he heard, set the seal upon his half-hearted decision. He would take the risk and go. "'A fuel!' exclaimed the little pastor, as though it might have been an oath, his loud whisper breaking through into a guttural sound. "'Fuel! Would that my people had machinery like that so I could use it! I've no material to work on, no force to direct, nothing but heavy, sodden clay! Jelly!' he cried. "'Negative, useless, lukewarm stuff at best!' He lowered his voice suddenly, so as to listen at the same time. "'I might as well be a baker, kneading dough,' he continued. "'They drink and yield and drink again. "'They never attack and drive. "'They're not worth labouring to save.' He struck the wooden table with his fist, making the lamp rattle, while his listener started and drew back. What good can weak souls, those spartless, be to God? The best have long ago gone up to them. And he jerked his leonine head towards the mountains. Where there's life, there's hope. He stamped his foot and he said it. But the lukewarm fear! I will spew them out from my mouth. He paused by the window for a moment, listening attentively, then resumed his pacing to and fro. Clearly he longed for action. Indifference, half-heartedness had no place in his composition, and Hendricks felt his own slower blood taking fire as he listened. "'Ah!' cried Lezan, louder. "'What a battle I could fight up there for God! "'Could I but live among them, "'stem the flow of their dark, strong virility, uh, "'then twist it round and up and up and up!' "'And he jerked his finger towards skywards. "'It's the great sinners we want, "'not the meek-faced saints.' There's an energy enough among those devils to bring the whole canton to the great footstool. Could I but direct it? He paused a moment, standing over his astonished visitor. Bring the boy up with you, and let him drink his fill. And pray, pray, I say, that he become a violent sinner, first in order that later there shall be something worth offering to God. Over one sinner that repenteth! A rapid, nervous knocking interrupted the flow of words, and the figure of a woman stood upon the threshold. With the opening of the door came also again the roaring from the night outside. Hendricks saw the tall, somewhat dishevelled outline of the wife, he remembered her vaguely, though she could hardly see him now in his darker corner, and recalled the fact that she had been sent out to Lazan in his missionary days, a worthy, illiterate, but adoring woman. She wore a shawl, 
Her hair was untidy, her eyes fixed and staring. Her husband's sturdy little figure, as he rose, stood level with her chin. I, you, you hear it, Jules, she whispered thickly. The Joran has brought them down. You will be needed in the village. She said it anxiously, though Hendricks understood the patois with difficulty. They talked excitedly together a moment in the doorway, their outlines blocked against the corridor, where a single oil lamp flickered. She warned, urging something. He expostulated. Fragments reached Hendricks in the corner. For clearly the woman worshipped her husband like a king, yet feared for his safety. He, for his part, comforted her, scolded a little, argued, told her to believe in God and go back to bed. Oh, they, they'll take you too, and you'll never return. It's not your parish anyhow. A touch of anguish in her tone. But Lazan was impatient to be off. He led her down the passage. My parish is wherever I can help. I belong to God. Nothing can harm me but to leave undone the work he gives me. The steps went farther away as he guided her to the stairs. Outside, the roar of voices rose and fell. Wind brought the drifting sound. Wind carried it away. It was like the thunder of the sea. And the Englishman, using the little scene as a flashlight upon his own attitude, saw it for an instant as God might have seen it. Lazan's point of view was high, scanning a very wide horizon. His eye being single, the whole body was full of light. The risk, it suddenly seemed, was nothing. To shirk it, indeed, the merest cowardice. He went and seized the pastor's hand. Tomorrow, he said, a trifle shakingly, perhaps, yet looking straight into his eyes, if we stay over... I'll bring the lad with me, providing he comes willingly. You will stay over, interrupted the other with decision. Come to supper at seven. Come in mountain boots. Use persuasion, but not force. He shall see it from a distance, without taking part. Oh, from a distance, yes the tutor repeated, but without taking part. And know the signs, the pastor broke in significantly. We can rescue him in the nick of time, charged with the enemy of life. Yet before danger gets... A sudden clangor of bells drowned the whispering voice, cutting the sentence in the middle. It was like an, an alarm of fire. Lazan sprang sharply round. The signal, he cried, the signal from the church. Someone's been taken. I must go at once. I shall be needed. 
he had his hat and cloak on in a moment, was through the passage and into the street, Hendricks following at his heels. The whole place seemed alive, yet the roadway was deserted, and no light showed at the windows of the houses. Only from the farther end of the village, where stood the cabaret, came a roar of voices, shouting, crying, singing. The impression was that the population was centred there. Far in the starry sky a line of fires blazed upon the heights, throwing a lurid reflection upon the deep black valley. Excitement filled the night. "'But how extraordinary!' claimed Hendricks, hurrying to overtake his alert companion. "'What life there is about! Everything's on the rush!' They went faster, almost running. I feel the waves of it beating even here. He followed breathlessly. A messenger has come and gone, replied Lazan in a sharp, decided voice. What you feel here is but the overflow. This is the aftermath. I must work down here with my people. I'll work with you began the other. But Lazan stopped him. Keep yourself for tomorrow night. Up there, he said with grave authority, pointing to the fiery line above the heights, and at the same time quickening his pace along the street. At the moment, he cried, looking back, your place is yonder. He jerked his head towards the carpenter's house among the vineyards, and the next minute he was gone. End of part four.